0: Welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we delve too greedily and too deep into the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Clara. And
1: I'm Aaron. And this week, we are the interminable gates to Gondolin that will guide you on this journey. <laughs> a lot it's of gates.
0: A lot of gates. A lot of gates to Gondolin. Um, you might
1: think you're in LaGuardia Airport, but you are, in fact, in Gondolin.
0: Going to Gondolin. i mean in Gondolin yet. That's
1: true, yeah, you're just sort of... Getting there.
0: Getting there via the gates. Or not getting
1: there, actually. As it turns out.
0: Yeah, you don't get there. Mm
1: -mm. (laughs) Nope.
0: Tolkien ran out of steam and stopped (laughs) writing the story.
1: I mean, I sympathize (laughs) because I ran out of steam reading it.
0: He got tired of writing about gates and was like, I give up. I'm done.
1: Yep. So, uh...
0: Speak as of the fall
1: of Gondolin.
0: That's right, if you didn't
1: Which <laughs> uh, is one of the many Christopher Tolkien edited tomes that I'm beginning to think or suspect. I have my suspicions, Clara, that okay. this is nothing but a cash grab.
0: It's 100% a cash grab. Okay, all right. The only one that wasn't a cash grab, I think, was the children of Pyrrha. Right and, and the only reason I think that is because it was actually good.
1: <laughs> yeah, we actually enjoyed the process of reading it. Uh, and
0: um I believe it was the first one published. So I think it, it was in sense yeah. that they were like, oh, we can try with this, and then mm-hmm. realized that people liked it, and then did Baron and Luthien and then The Fall of Gondolin.
1: Well, I mean, this is published elsewhere, right? Isn't it in his giant like history of Middle Earth or am I wrong about that?
0: This one is published in the Book of Lost Tales. Okay. Um as well.
1: But I don't yeah, know what yeah.
0: version is in the book of Lost Tales.
1: Uh, I should have looked because I had that book, but I didn't.
0: I mean, we were exhausted.
1: <laughs> I was weary. This wearied me.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I didn't have enough Lembus bread to get me through this story. Um, I don't know. And, and I think, well, off mic, you and I talked a bit about how this book kind of clarified some of our complaints with parts of the Silmarillion as a whole. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that's where we want to start, but I'm I'm angry enough about it that it's where I want to start.
0: Okay, well let's start let's start at the very beginning. Oh, very well. A very good place to start. Aaron, do you want to discuss very briefly what the Fall of Gondolin is about? I mean it's sure. different in every single version, but like kind of just the gist of what is going
1: on here. Gondolin Falls <laughs>
0: that's right <laughs>
1: um, No, so I mean well essentially that's it but it, it starts earlier than that it's well depending on the version it's kind of time-wise related differently to the fall of Nargothrond but it is related to it just depending on how the time scale works out and the battle of unnumbered tears like all this is happening sort of after it um, basically tour is told by Ulmo to go to Gondolin to deliver his message about what uh, Turgon needs to do as king. Um, we're, we know that Turgon's not going to want to do this because he's become kind of self-obsessed and insular. He's a hermit kingdom uh, mm-hmm. kind of vibe going for him. Uh, but Almo guides him. Different versions he's guided in different ways, but Varanwe's, uh kind of the main guide. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of like uh, kind of the Virgil to... His uh, you know, Aeneas sort of um kind of vibe there, but uh or Virgil to Dante. going the same? Yeah. yeah. Um
0: <laughs> Sybil to uh, Aeneas, maybe. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. There you go. Um But yeah, it's just like this long sort of winding journey through then the secret passageways to get to Gondolin, because remember it's a hidden kingdom and nobody knows mm-hmm. where it is. Um he gets there, he delivers the message, not received Well, like they're not going to go out and fight. The whole idea is almost tells them to go out and fight the orcs before the orcs come and and invade them. Essentially, like the choice is either go out and face them now, or like you're going to get rat fucked down the road. (laughs) Um, And they decide to wait to get rat fucked, um, which they do. Uh, Tour marries what's her name again? Idril, the daughter. Idril, Idril, thank you. Yeah, and I was about to say
0: Idris, (laughs) I can (laughs) just
1: And they have a son. Who's important later? Yes,
0: very important.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Who figures prominently in both these narratives, but really the first one more so. It's Mm -hmm. sort of an important figure. Um, Meantime, Melkor's scheming, and sort of the book ends with well, the first version ends with the fall, the sacking of Gondolin, Mm -hmm. and the escape of uh, Tour and his family and a few other survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other version basically ends with his arrival at the gates mm-hmm. essentially yeah yeah i don't know that's pretty much it it's a yeah. lot of it's a lot of uh a lot of world building yes um to get to a really long battle in the first version
0: yeah a lot of world building to get to a really long battle in the first version and a lot of world building to get to no battle in the Dead final end. version and then a few mm-hmm. versions in between that are shorter and probably like Less worth mentioning. Yeah, essentially the same things happen in those versions that happen in either version mm-hmm. one or version four. They're just sort of like drafty.
1: Yeah, and I don't mean there's like the...
0: wind blowing through.
1: Them. <laughs> they're closer to the Silmarillion version, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you couldn't tell, neither Aaron nor I were incredibly impressed with the fall of Gondolin.
1: <laughs> nope, should have fallen faster.
0: Yeah, Aaron, I mean, if you want to start uh, start the real discussion with <laughs> with your issues. My issues? Your issues with this oh, book specifically.
1: Legion. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, we um, can start
0: there. Why not?
1: Sure. Yeah, and then we can move to the, the other stuff that we were going to talk about. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We, we talked about this off mic, but this book really reinforced for me my kind of qualms about a lot of the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is that so much of like narrative and story and character is sacrificed for world building. Like, there's this massive history that he's got in his brain mm-hmm. and written down that he's trying to kind of uh create and support here. And like, this the narrative just can't like it just crushed under it. <laughs> like, there, mm-hmm. I mean, there really isn't room for any of these characters to develop. Um, they're too often kind of types or symbols rather than people and which is funny because he's so adamant about not being allegorical and yet uh these characters kind of function like allegorical characters Mm -hmm. they're just you know it's very clear what they symbolize um in a lot of ways and so i don't know for me like the book just kind of emphasized maybe what my problem with it is and also like it's insane that he wanted to publish the Silmarillion with the trilogy (laughs) <laughs> like they're like, can you imagine like picking up that as a single collection and starting no. with the Silmarillion? You would ne- no one would have ever read the trilogy. That's right. It's crazy.
0: And they're like minimally connected. I mean, yeah. that's the issue people have with the Silmarillion is right. they start reading it and they're like, this is going to be just like Lord of the Rings, and oh. it's so different and it's so dense, and so they don't get through it because it's not at all what they expected. Yeah. Um, so no, no one would ever read the trilogy if the Silmarillion was published.
1: No. In this
0: form. And no publisher in their right mind would have published it.
1: Totally unmarketable.
0: I mean, they barely even wanted to publish the trilogy as like, you know, six books or whatever.
1: Mm -hmm. It didn't help that, uh, there was paper rationing at the time. (laughs) But, uh. Yeah, he doesn't I,
0: care about a paper ration i mean he
1: was adamant like for the rest of his life that they were to be published together
0: yeah
1: and it's like buddy
0: you wouldn't have sold any books no. if they were
1: and you said like the connection's pretty minimal mm-hmm. like i'll right. be curious to see when i get to the trilogy again like if it changes dramatically how i understand that book but my suspicion is that it actually won't
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think it'll change kind of and again it'll change in the way tolkien wants it which is it's going to give depth to certain things mm-hmm. you know you'll understand aragorn's lineage you'll understand like they'll mention Arendelle a few mm-hmm. times right right yeah. um when they say the name albareth like you'll get oh they're talking about varda great <laughs> Like, right. you'll understand kind of these, like, random historical notes that are dropped in, but it's, I don't think, going to help anyone I mean, grasp that much more. Uh,
1: can I just say that, like, I don't think that it's important to know those things?
0: Right, because you read Lord of the Rings
1: yeah, years ago it. before you read it. The Silmarillion,
0: and you are like, great, this is a good book. Yeah. And same for me. Like, I wasn't, I don't feel like it added... that much more to my reading experience.
1: No. We don't Uh, need everything explained.
0: No. And the problem with the fall of Gondolin is everything is explained.
1: Correct. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, the value of... I don't know. Like, some fantasy just does this, where it leans too heavily on world building Mm -hmm. at the expense of... Like, we don't need to know everything Mm -hmm. about a setting (laughs) in order for it to be interesting and compelling. Like, sometimes it's good to not have everything explained. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name any names for certain fantasy series, but like sometimes I it's would good like to you leave. It, <laughs> <though>. <laughs> um, But it's sometimes it's good to leave some like sense of unexplained.
0: Because mm-hmm. Myst- sometimes the answers are also just a, bad. A mystique about it. You
1: know, I don't know. It's it seems more
0: mysterious. Yeah, and... right.
1: It seems more real. Like I don't know. We don't know anything about everything in our own world. Why should we?
0: Right. Because I was just about to say, the more real you try to make a fantasy world, the more More artificial it becomes. Because like you're trying so hard to make it seem Mm -hmm. real that you're acknowledging that it's not real.
1: Right. This is this fits into my general complaint about like prequels and other things more more explicit. So maybe I'm just like set off. Um. In particular, by this book, because of that, but just like we don't need to know all this,
0: we don't need to know all of this in the detail that Tolkien right. tries to give it to us. Because like in that final version, I mean, it's pretty long. I don't mm. remember exactly how many pages it is, but uh, it's,
1: like sixty some pages, it's, yeah.
0: It's sixty pages of like him reminding us where things are, <laughs> yes. or exp- like describing a landscape that like mm-hmm. we don't need to have described to us in such details or like talking about how tour hears seagulls there's like half a page about how yeah. he hears seagulls and like doesn't know what seagulls are
1: my man uh, loves birds though
0: and like four pages of him just like traveling down the coast mm-hmm. like i yeah. we're not learning about tour the character we're learning about where he is
1: yeah
0: and I felt like I was relying so heavily on the map in this book. Like, I, you know, we, I think we've talked about this, like the maps in the Silmarillion are extensive and mm-hmm. you do kind of consult them a decent amount. But, like, I didn't find myself in Baron and Luthien consulting the map. No. I didn't find myself in Children of Hurin consulting the map. But in this book, I was like, where the fuck is he? <laughs> and where is he going? <laughs> That's right. Because there's like several tunnels that he yeah. has to travel through. rivers, And they're not the same tunnels. No. There's so much water imagery. Yep. And like there's this place with the willows that he goes to right, in yeah. two of the versions but in the final version he doesn't go to it. He just <laughs> has it described to him by Voronwe. Like where is where in the world is Tuor
1: Where in the world is Carmen San Diego?
0: That's right. (laughs) He's wearing a big red hat.
1: (laughs) I mean, that would be dope as hell. (laughs) That'd be
0: cool. Um, It's like, we don't, and at this point, we don't need this world built for us. The world is built. Like, tell us what tour is doing. Don't tell us where he's going. (laughs)
1: Right. I mean, part of me gets it. Like, he spent his whole life creating this place. So I understand why he's writing it down, but it's one of those things where it's like, maybe that's something internal for the author's like notes. Right. Right. Like, clearly it helped him on some level, fashion, the trilogy, to have done all this sort of thinking and writing beforehand, but like that doesn't actually mean that it's... I mean, I don't know. There's certainly a subset of fans that love this, which is fine. I'm not going to begrudge them reading more Tolkien, but for me, I'm just like, this
0: doesn't yeah. enrich
1: the experience This for me. in
0: particular did not...
1: No. Like,
0: it seems unnecessary. Yeah. Because, like, okay, great. We find out where Arendelle comes from. Spoiler alert. If you aren't familiar, he's really important (laughs) in the next, like, chapter of the Silmarillion.
1: Great.
0: And he's really the only vestige of the Silmarillion that ends up, you know, in the trilogy.
1: Yeah. In a significant way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, except for, uh, Turin, who gets a mention. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Turin does get a mention. Uh, He does get a mention. And of
1: course Sauron's hanging around, but like...
0: (laughs) Right. But like, you know, not much is holding over. No. And I don't know that we needed a whole book with four versions of this story to explain to us where Arento comes from. (laughs) No. Um because i got nothing from this book
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the only thing that i found interesting was just seeing the difference between the first and the last version as like a writer yeah but like i didn't need i didn't need to know you know you know what i'm saying like i didn't need to know right. that for the trilogy but like it's clear that tolkien's writing got incredibly better over time Yes, because like the last version sounds more like the trilogy in terms mm-hmm. of style and prose and language, even if it's not particularly compelling, like it's better written. I think there's a little more character,
0: a little detail. More, but Tur- I mean, they feel still, a little
1: more like people. But he's still, yeah, he's, he's still like he's a, still
0: so boring, especially coming yeah. off of Turin, who is like.
1: There's so much
0: to talk about. Ironic sort of
1: hero who's completely screwed up. Yeah.
0: Right. Whereas like, so we have this, yeah, a Byronic hero versus like a Messianic hero. Mm -hmm. And sorry to the Messiah, but it's really fucking boring.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a reason people read Dante's Inferno and not the Paradiso.
0: Yep.
1: It's because the heaven's boring as hell.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Because no one cares about people who are perfect.
1: No, we don't care about Beatrice. No, sorry. Sorry, Dante. I know you did. A lot. Perhaps too much.
0: Way too much for a um, woman he wasn't uh, even, like... That's true. ...remotely allowed to speak to.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow.
0: Oh, yeah. Man, he, like, he
1: is down bad.
0: Yeah, he had it bad for Beatrice.
1: Men will write a uh, trilogy of verse epics instead of going to therapy.
0: Uh, plus the Vita Nuova. Vita oh, that's Nuova. right. Yeah. Uh he wrote like a whole series of romantic poems about the first time yeah. he saw Beatrice when she was like 12. Uh, Beatrice.
1: Anyway, I'm anyway, sorry. I got We, a, dig- a way we really track.
0: digress. But, um,
1: um, but yeah, I, I don't, we don't need to, you know, beat the proverbial <laughs> dead horse here, but it's just, uh, I think a lot of this, a lot of the Silmarillion felt like this to me. Mm-hmm. The use.
0: sad thing for me, especially, uh, like, about especially the fall of Gondolin is, like, it does have a lot of potential to be very cool. You know, yeah, Tur, almost like, arises from the sea and, like, speaks to Tur after he finds this very cool armor made just for him mm-hmm. that we did learn about chapters ago in the Silmarillion because almost spoke to Turgon in a dream and was like, leave this armor, go to Gondolin. All right. Christ will come <laughs> and avenge you. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like there's some really cool. Yeah, I mean, there's things that happen,
1: right. but I think
0: because they happen to a uncool characters, sorry, tour, and
1: yeah. like
0: B, they happen within the context of this kind of boring yeah. story. Like it's just not. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't. I mean, work.
1: I, yeah, like all the <laughs> tensions. Me, all the tensions pull out of it, right? Like there should be mm-hmm. more tension between tour and Turgon when he arrives, like that conflict should be more present about like, why is he so reluctant to go? Like there's tension there that you could build with. And of course there's tension between Meg, Meglin and tour, uh, yeah. Tour too, about, uh, the woman. They're both...
0: <laughs> yeah. drill.
1: Sorry. I keep see how much I paid attention. Uh, it's okay. You know, so there's that whole angle too, that like, I mean, it seems it's kind of repetitive. I guess with some of children I hear in, but in some ways, that whole but dynamic,
0: it, yeah, but it could but be interesting.
1: Like, it could be interesting. Children
0: yes. of Huron made it interesting,
1: right? Right. Like he's clearly the Judas figure, but like there's nothing done with him, right? He's a little more interesting in the second or in the one of the versions, the shorter versions, where it's like he wasn't actually a coward. It was just that. Melkor was so scary.
0: Yes, Melkor is a scary guy. I get <laughs>
1: it. This they're like he was just a snake.
0: Yep, a snake in the grass. Um,
1: but yeah, um, so there's like all this like drama that they could build up. Yeah. Like, nope.
0: I mean, you could have Tour, you know, like not want to do this and have to have Almo like either convince him or have him have a little bit of like internal conflict about
1: you mm-hmm. know why me. <laughs> Why, yeah even jesus was, had that right in the Bible.
0: why was why was i selected for this right let not this cup pass to me uh and then like for nope. way just like plops out of the sea and it's like huh? a wave set me down here hello but again there's this whole like sea fascination mm-hmm. in this book or especially well in the fourth version of this book yes there's this whole like fascination with the sea that is like not ever
1: yeah like, I know.
0: really fully fleshed out. Um,
1: We're told and the that, like, whole, like, the... they
0: talk about the doom, you know, yes. the doom of the Noldor. They keep talking about the doom of the Noldor. What is that? Is it they're doomed to, like, constantly go to sea and seek uh... Um... Oh my gosh, now I can't... The Valor? Uh, like, Valor? Yeah. I don't... I don't understand. Nobody knows. So, like, Tolkien's he's trying to build a world but, like, he's building it on a pillar of salt because half the stuff he's talking about I either don't remember or Mm -hmm. he's just like popping it in (laughs) because it sounds cool to constantly talk about the doom yeah what is the doom
1: of the nolder we don't know
0: I don't I don't know are they talking about the doom of mandos I don't know maybe I don't know what's going on
1: (laughs) This book broke our brains.
0: There was a cool part, I will say. There was a cool Uh, part. Which part? Uh, I was hoping you could guess, but I don't think... Well, which
1: version, maybe?
0: The fourth version. There's a cool part. No, I don't know. I mean... Other than, I do think it's cool when Olmo, like, comes out of the sea and is like,
1: you must go. I think that's how he talks. He does. He talks, like, from the deeps of time Um, or something that we're told. Foundation of the Earth. They
0: call him the Dweller of the Deep, which is very
1: kick-ass. Yeah, that is very cool.
0: (laughs) Uh, cool. But, no, when uh, Turin shows up.
1: Oh, yeah, that was cool. Turin
0: does make a cameo appearance in the final version of The Fall of Gondolin they like hear him they don't know who he is <laughs> they don't know who he is they see him he's all like black and like
1: he's I got the know. sword still he's all messed up
0: yeah so this is right after the fall of Nargothrond, which is interesting because this is one of the first times i think we've actually been like placed within a timeline mm-hmm. i think we've talked about this like it's kind of nebulous how yeah how these things are happening in relation to each other um in terms of like what's concurrent with Baron and Luthien? What's concurrent mm-hmm. with Children of Hurin? And so it is interesting that, like, okay, here's where these two kind of storylines overlap a little bit. It's a thesis at the end of Turin's life, mm-hmm. basically. Right. I mean, he lives for, you know, a few more years. Uh, Nargothrond has fallen as Tuor is seeking Gondolin. Right. But then Tuor lives in Gondolin for quite a few years. I mean, mm. This kid is, like, seven when...
1: The orcs come. The Balrogs. Yeah. And the the worms.
0: Machines of fire. Mm -hmm. Since we mentioned worms and Balrogs and machines of fire, Mm -hmm. um... The first version, maybe we can talk a little bit about perhaps the purpose of the first version for Tolkien, whether he knew it or not. Uh. Uh, as I mentioned, it was written in 1917, started in 1917 when he was in the barracks in World War One,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I don't think anyone would argue with me when I say that this was most likely Tolkien's way of processing his war trauma.
1: He would probably argue with you, but no one else would.
0: He's dead, so. (laughs) If his ghost Uh, wants to rise from its grave and come argue with me, honestly, fine. This version, version one, as I'm going to just call it from now on, is probably one of the only times in Tolkien where we get a. I mean,. It is long. It's a way too long description yeah. of the battle. Oh my god. But it's one of the only times we get a long description yeah. of a battle. Sure. Like a long, explicit description of a battle. Um... And I think that stems from... Him... Having just... Yeah. Fought in...
1: Yeah. You know... Hussam. Um,
0: yeah. yeah <laughs> An unending battle. Correct. essentially, <laughs> Um you know, the, um, actual language, like, Uh so, you know, Melko doesn't just bring orcs and balrogs, he uses the greatness of his wealth of metals and his power of fire to, uh, he bid him make beasts like snakes and dragons of irresistible Mm -hmm. might that should overcreep the encircling hills and lap that plain and its fair city in flame and death. So, like, he has these metal machines that he is using to cross a plane, and then you know besiege Gondolin, and then Tour and Company have to escape via a tunnel underneath the mm-hmm. plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just very reminiscent of like, as I think we've said of a few other descriptions, yeah. is like the Battle of Sudden Flame earlier in the Silmarillion. Yes where it's very World War II um, or World War I, mm-hmm. you know, reminiscent,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: like, oh, we're, f- we're fighting across what used to be a beautiful French yep. countryside, and now it's engulfed in flame and mud and barbed wire and bodies and the other horrors of war, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the Germans with their superior... Technology of the time, if we can call, we would never call it they technology those, today.
1: Uh, but yeah, uh, those hats with the points on them. they were right. ready. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is—that was it. They just stabbed anyone.
1: Just <laughs> ran with their heads. Head down.
0: butted them. Um, you know, and so I do think this is a way. This is a way for Tolkien yeah. to kind of work through some of that and try to right. place it in a within a context that made sense.
1: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I I think there's a way you can read Gondolin as England, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Um, as we removed from the War of the Continent, right? And then eventually it comes to England, um, which is weirdly prescient of World War II, but mm-hmm. with the Blitz and things like that. But um, so, yeah, I agree. It's, it's clearly a reflection on his experience in the trenches. There's this description on 53 of the orcs that. Sounds to me like a description of World War One soldiers more generally. Okay. Um so it's basically kind of the introduction of the orcs. it's that last full paragraph. He says, I know it not unless it be certain of the that certain of the Noldoi 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 Whatever were twisted to the evil of Melko and mingled among these orcs for all that race were bred by melko of the subterranean heats and slime their hearts were of granite and their bodies deformed foul their faces which smiled not but their laugh that of the clash of metal um, and nothing into nothing were they more fain than to aid in the basis purposes of melko um, so i don't know it's just, It just struck me as being kind of an image of like both the way that the you know warfare perverted human nature and mm-hmm. like you know, like made them foul. I mean, they're all in the trenches. They're filthy. They're shell shocked. I think there's there's a lot going on here in terms of World War One and yeah. processing that experience in ways that he would undoubtedly deny <laughs> as an allegory. Absolutely. Um, but I it's it's hard not to see it. As you do in the trilogy too, as mm-hmm. people have pointed out. Um
0: Right. And you see it too in ways that it's not there, right? We talk about like absence of kind of the glorification or like the Mm. even really description of battle um, in certain ways, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And here it's not absent, it's very present.
1: Um, Yes, excruciatingly present.
0: But, and then it's removed from those later versions. Mm. Um, or, if not removed, at least like paired way down. And, That's pretty minimal, and yeah. The um, description is more focused on the escape of mm-hmm. Tour and Idril and Arendil and all their friends. Mm-hmm. A friend we know, a friend we know from the trilogy we've talked about before,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes
0: an appearance and then dies mm-hmm. Glorfinn.
1: Mm-hmm. He does. Uh, then he gets Ratcon back to life.
0: That's okay. right. Yeah, Idril is interesting, because she's got another, like, lady present. um, But she's like every other lady
1: present. Yeah.
0: There's the only books. one kind
1: of lady. Well, there's two kinds of ladies. There's ladies like Idril. Yep. And then there's ladies like Ungolian. That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, Morwin kind of Morwin might operate in a gray area. She might be our only one who who yeah. doesn't. But uh, right. So Idril is she's beautiful. She's an owl. Mm. She walks everywhere unshod. She like doesn't wear shoes. Is a big deal for Tolkien. That's how, that's how you get an
1: athlete's foot.
0: <laughs> um. And she has prophetic dreams and visions, and if that doesn't remind you of anybody we've met (laughs) already, I don't know what does. Um, Yeah, she like, tells Tuor to build his tunnel out of the city because she has a vision of the city you know, falling interesting that her father wouldn't believe her. I know. Uh, questionable. Turgon's kind of useless. Turgon is he another really useless is, authority yeah. figure. You know, he doesn't want to listen to Tour, He doesn't want to listen to his daughter. For some reason, he listens to Meglin. Right.
1: But, like, we're supposed to care about him when he Like, it doesn't... Sorry, I'm getting back into why this doesn't work for me. But...
0: It's okay. It's like, it's why okay. are we supposed
1: to care about this guy? He's, like, he's nothing. Yeah. He's like Denethor, but less interesting.
0: Yeah. Because there's no, you don't see any internal conflict. No.
1: He's just like, I'm going to go down with my city.
0: And And he toddles off
1: into the tower.
0: And the fact that, like, he has built this city
1: on rock and and, roll.
0: On rock and roll. And just, like, stays there. You know, he pops out for the Battle of Lumber Tears, right? He's totally isolated. Mm -hmm. He's he's kind of a wiener. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't like Turgon.
1: Just, i don't even like just, I don't even know enough about him to like or dislike him
0: except for that he's an isolationist that's true which is never a good policy
1: no we've seen that before too in these books yes um but yeah he's just like he built this city that he becomes obsessed with seeing as impregnable and so he's just like i'm gonna hide here mm-hmm. and uh yeah. It's a big old boring king.
0: Yeah. In a big old know. boring city.
1: Yeah, it is a boring city.
0: But it is a shining city on a hill.
1: Ugh, gross.
0: Much like <laughs> much like tuna.
1: Yes, or uh, Reagan's America. <laughs> gross. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like I, I don't know. I just. God, can you tell I hit browns with this book? Like, just getting through this book.
0: Yes, I also had problems getting through this book and finding things to talk
1: about. Yeah, there's like nothing... About. Right, because it's just like Tolkien doing his nerd shit.
0: Right. Let's talk about... Oh. Let's try to talk about the things in this book that we snuffled up out of the dirt. Like truffle pigs.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of work for this truffle pig.
0: Yeah, these pigs are tired.
1: <laughs> these pigs are tired. Yeah, so, I mean, the repeated tunnel and water imagery suggests mm-hmm. rebirth. And also just, like, ocean is often associated with rebirth, yeah. with the womb, um, with amniotic fluid. Like, it's all there. Uh, Did you say amniotic fluid? No, embryonic. Oh. <laughs> embryonic fluid. Um, <laughs> it's all there. So, and, and, of course, like, the Messiah story is also one of rebirth as well. So, like, there's all this sort of image of, like, rejuvenation and restart. mm mm-hmm. uh, The obsession for the sea kind of becomes interesting when you think of it in those terms. Mm -hmm. Um, Absent mother, perhaps again, Um, but there actually are the only mother in this story is Idril, Mm -hmm. because we don't have a queen. Interestingly Mm -hmm. enough,
0: no. um, We learn Um, I think it's in the nature of Middle
1: Earth
0: that Turgon's wife did not leave Valinor
1: so it is interesting that we do kind of the essentially middle earth kind of replaces the mother mm-hmm. figure through the sort of natural world um it becomes the sort of vehicle for this messianic rebirth that occurs again and again i don't know it's not he sort of is a christ figure but he's like i guess kind of an aeneas too
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: um in the same way of like you know it's it, it is a little reminiscent of the fall of troy absolutely um because they are fighting <laughs> undone by a woman well i should say by someone's lust after a woman I say, it's but, not, it blamed, uh, but it gets blame. but in does, you know yeah, it does get blamed then
0: there's yeah. a bit of blame
1: placed on. Um, the so i don't know i mean it's just I guess what we've kind of talked about so many times, really, is like Tolkien keeps coming back to the same themes and he keeps drawing, I think, on the same cultural sources time and again, which is this kind of weird mix of like Hellenic culture and Christianity and medieval Anglo-Saxon slash Norman literature to create this world that he insists is independent of those things. Right. Um, And clearly it is not. Right,
0: you have this, like, shining city on a hill. I couldn't stop thinking of William Blake's Jerusalem, even mm-hmm. though, like, they're not... Like, they're not the same if you, like, read... Do
1: uh, you mean to I say mean, Tolkien and Blake are not the same? <laughs> <laughs> One is a radical, uh, anti-hierarchical, anti-church figure, and
0: yeah, the other, the other is the not. biggest so, church dork ever. Like, we talked about... How, you know, is Gondolin a, you know, kind of metaphor for England, for Tolkien, in mm. terms of this World War One stuff? And I just mm. kept thinking of, you know, uh, I don't, like, I don't know why... Why I kept thinking of this Blake poem, but I absolutely could not stop thinking of it. Um, just building, building Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land, and the fact oh, that yeah. like they Gondolin is constantly compared to Tuna, which was, if you remember, all the way back to the Silmarillion, this big fish <laughs> that they caught <laughs> and built a city upon. <laughs> that would be in, dope. <laughs> in Valinor they have the Hill of Tuna uh where uh Noldor built like their great city mm. and in in both the Silmarillion and in the Fall of Gondolin there are comparisons between Gondolin and Tuna and how it's like the new it's the new Tuna. <laughs> um and so like truthfully if we think of like Jerusalem being like the holy land Turgon has now built a new Jerusalem within mm-hmm. Middle-earth mm-hmm. that he's trying mm-hmm. to preserve. Um, obviously, he can't, but Tur is coming to try to save it uh, as the Messiah figure. And then he does, because in Tolkien's, right, mm-hmm. if we think about kind of Tolkien's line of thinking and what we've talked about before, is like a country is not the country, it is the people right. who like maintain the culture through language, for Tolkien, of that place. And so, you know, Gondolin might fall, but as long as the people can escape, then, you know, what really matters is preserved, Mm -hmm. Um, even if we lose the, like, you know, land that they come from. I hadn't actually thought of it as... Uh, I hadn't thought of it in terms of the Aeneid, which I'm really disappointed in myself. Uh, <laughs> but now I'm, like, looking back to that first version. And, like, if, you know... We think of Tour as, like, an Aeneas... Aeneas carries his father out of yeah, on his back, burning yeah. Troy out, out of his back. And, like, Tour carries a Rendil on his shoulders mm-hmm. out of burning Gondolin mm-hmm. on his back. And so there are... I didn't even think of that, and I'm sad. Mm. <laughs> i was sad in myself uh that i didn't yeah. but yes yeah, so i don't think of i don't think of um tour as like a jesus figure mm-hmm. in terms of being when i say like a messiah mm-hmm. i think of it just as like this savior right
1: okay it doesn't do have think... a direct connection to ulmo in a way that's a bit
0: right i do think he kind of has like He's a messiah. Yeah, he's a Jesus yeah. leaning messiah. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like, like
1: you're going to carry my word to these people.
0: Right. Um,
1: Which is maybe more explicit in the last version, actually. Yes. It's, like, it you're going to speak literally is. for me.
0: Um, he's um, like, oh, I'll almost put those words in my head.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. The
0: swans. Wait, this, can we talk about the yeah, swans? I actually
1: wanted to talk about this because.
0: Okay, cool. <laughs> like, it,
1: this is not the first time we've also encountered swans as symbols. Mm mm. They're the boats, obviously, the mm-hmm. swan boats. Um, I should have, if I'd been a good boy, I would have looked up swan symbolism, but I did I'm not.
0: I'm literally typing that into <laughs> my Google right now.
1: No, but he's, uh, but our boy Tour loves swans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, in yes. a big way. Yes. Um, he really vibes on swans. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't uh, anything know. Anything else? You just... No,
1: I can't. I can't keep vamping, Clara. Please sorry. tell me you found something. Sorry. I did
0: find something. <laughs> okay. uh, basically, the swans come into play a few times. Like in the first version, yes. he introduces himself to Turgon. He's like, my symbol is a swan. <laughs> Damn, in a the dork. fourth version, he follows a bunch of mm-hmm. swans to, I have to find the name of it. I'm sorry. I can't just keep saying that castle.
1: Is it three swans?
0: Seven swans. Oh, just seven. Like, okay, I knew it was like, a symbolic
1: number, but I couldn't remember which, which symbolic number. Just like the number.
0: Sufjan song, Seven Swans. Um oh. Vinyamar. Vinyamar. Vinyamar, yeah, that's it. Uh, So he follows these swans who are very uninterested in him. There's this very funny... Yeah, they're funny, like, leave this
1: alone. <laughs> there's
0: this very funny description where he like tries to approach them, and they like do what swans do, which is like squawk and flap their wings, <laughs> and like, get out of here. We'll beak you. Um... But then he follows them to Vinyamar. Uh He goes into the fortress. He finds the armor. He puts it on. He walks out
1: of
0: the castle. And the swans all bow to him. And they do deference to him. And then they all pluck a feather from their wings and hand it to him. And then he puts them in his helm. So he (laughs) has seven swan feathers in his helm. But swan symbolizes... uh, light purity and transformation so we're probably mm. going to latch, latch on to that transformation one uh
1: sure and right. purity right
0: and purity tour is very pure of pure heart incredibly pure of heart
1: um and is the is, is it ulma who sent them is that also part of it or am i making it up
0: i don't know who sent the swans okay if i'm if i'm honest
1: because he's just kind of wandering at this point right
0: uh yes he goes through the gate of the noldor which is definitely like a rebirth he has to like go through the golden cleft and like all this like shit um
1: (laughs) and then he like look (laughs) yes aaron i'm not even gonna i'm gonna touch that one Uh (laughs) too easy it's too easy
0: and he finds himself by the sea, and then he just like loves the sea, so he's kind of wandering. Right. And then he sees the swans and follows them. Right. But I don't know who sends the swans, if any. I
1: don't know. I'm probably misremembering. I, I read think it in a day. He's kind days.
0: of clueless at this point. As as to like, oh dear, this map is folded in the back of my book, and I just folded it wrong, and now it like
1: refuses to go back to normal.
0: Like in you know, as any map with the
1: um, what is happening? I think.
0: Sorry, everyone.
1: We're Everything about her. this
0: book is so distressing. <laughs>
1: oh man, this may be uh, our weirdest episode yet.
0: Yeah, it's definitely it's wandering like tour. It is, uh, and Veron way.
1: We need a I Ver- <laughs> I was gonna say we need Veron way, but he wouldn't actually be much help. <laughs>
0: yeah he kind was... of
1: is but he... not really
0: he is a lot like virgil
1: yeah because he can like kind of help him to a certain extent but it's a lot of it he's got to like do himself
0: right and then he's like he's he's often like a restraint for two yes when... he's
1: like don't attack those orcs right
0: when tour's <laughs> like we gotta kill the orcs he's like no 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 <laughs>
1: buddy buddy there's a lot of them <laughs>
0: uh yeah i don't know what like i don't know what else to talk about i
1: mean yeah. and, and like
0: also you know not only does this book lay bare a lot of the issues that we both have had with the Silmarillion, but also it just beats the dead horse of things that tolkien has talked about before sure. like it's
1: like all the same things right it's good and evil yep it's uh pride before the fall it's like questions of authority and Mm -hmm. like who has it and who should have it right and she said like turgon is clearly not a very good king but at the end of the day like he's still the one leading everybody and like tour doesn't really dispute it like that's another point for drama right is like
0: right because he's coming
1: with a message from olmo it's not like he's just showing up and like saying his opinion
0: right he's coming with a literal message from god
1: and we're here. We're on a mission from God.
0: <laughs> he does show up in a black suit and the wayfarers.
1: <laughs> oh my God! Can you imagine Dan Aykroyd? That's my casting. Dan Aykroyd is tour. <laughs> we're uh, we're on a mission from God. In and, a and Broadway is uh, uh, what's his face? John Belushi. Yeah. Jim Belushi. Belushi. Which Actually, Belushi? maybe it should be reversed. Which Belushi? I think it's Jim.
0: I think so. There is uh, a John. Uh, be- his, brother, is, though,
1: yes. is... his brother. His brother. One of them is dead.
0: No, it's John Belushi.
1: Okay. John Belushi. So actually I think Tour should be Belushi and Rame should be Aykroyd. Oh, I'm sorry. I just I have such a hard time like caring about this book, as you can tell. I know. We're really sorry. Yeah, I honestly am sorry, but it's just it's hard to like say more about all these things that I feel like we've talked about. Yeah. And I think the thing is it doesn't add anything new to these questions that he's grappling with, really. I mean, it it doesn't really add anything new to sort of the, the, I don't know, however you want to think of this world, whether it's this sort of eternal struggle between good and evil, or I don't know, between like pride and sort of self-aware humility, whatever it is, like these Mm -hmm. sort of dual concepts that he constantly has going on, like, there's nothing here that's radically different from what we've seen elsewhere. I don't think like Mm -mm. it's like yeah Turgon's not a great king but like as with all the other stories like nobody can really do anything about it right like it just has to sort of work itself out um and that's what's so interesting to me about these books I guess is like the the idea of doom and fate like that no matter what like even Olmo can't change things
0: right right
1: he can, like, like, send even, his little yeah.
0: guy in. But then he's like, he says, he's like, my power's failing. Correct. You know, these pools are poisoned against yep. me. You know, my mm-hmm. time here is basically done. I've got to go back to my sea castle.
1: Well, that that part is interesting to me, too, as, like, a maybe part of the World War One trauma aspect. Like, there is this sense throughout these books of contending with sort of the modern world Mm -hmm. like the modern world has a kind of broken something Mm -hmm. um or shattered something like the loss of faith and like almost power here dwindling seems to me to be kind of echoing that sort of modern sense of loss like the lost generation idea that that tolkien doesn't really fit into personally Mm -hmm. uh as a figure either an author or a person but like i think his work is dealing with some of those same Kind of anxiety, just from a very different perspective right like even if you compare him with like someone like wolford owen
0: mm-hmm.
1: Wilfred owen's politics his personal life um put him in a very different kind of starting point but they're both i think kind of concerned with the same loss of stability they just identify that stability in different places um so that's why I'm, I was kind of, like, disappointed with the Fall Gondolin in, in that it didn't, like, you're expecting it to be about the end of this paradise, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, in a way, but, like, it doesn't, I don't know, it just didn't didn't land for me in the same way that some of the other kind of moments in the Silmarillion and Layered the Trilogy do, in terms of this kind of contention with, like, his modern world and his like sense of it
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um i don't know it's just tolkien's kind of an interesting enigma at times (laughs) um even when like the writing isn't always compelling it's clear that he's trying to like contend with something in a way that's different from what other people are maybe doing um of his generation Mm -hmm. anyway i don't know it's a long-winded way to say like yeah, the war is central no matter how much he wants to say it isn't. Yeah. And, like, I, there's, I don't know, there's, like, missed opportunities there. Like, the idea of authority, I think, is really interesting. hmm But there's something about Tolkien that won't let him probe that too yeah, deeply. Yeah, like,
0: it's like he does, on some level, respect authority. He does, yeah. And I think maybe that's, like, I don't know if that's, like, a Catholic upbringing mm-hmm. thing. You know, there's very much a hierarchy within... Mm-hmm. The church, and I think, you know, people raised in certain, you know, Catholic households in a certain time period, especially, like, were really kind of driven to respect mm-hmm. the authority of that hierarchy. I don't know if that's it, or if it was just Tolkien himself, kind of, that was his own yeah. personal kind of way of thinking about the world Is like, there have to be authority figures, yeah. but, and, like, they aren't always great but then like the small folk quote unquote will rise to the occasion um and i guess you know like make the authority figures almost obsolete because they, they will take on the burden of
1: yeah.
0: you know leading i'm not sure i yeah you, you know because we see that i guess that's like the pattern that we see it's right. like the valor kind of become obsolete so the Mm -hmm. elves sort of take on that burden Mm -hmm. of leadership and then the elves sort of start to become obsolete and so the men start to take on that burden of leadership and it just kind of keeps getting Mm -hmm. like passed and passed you know down Mm
1: -hmm.
0: kind of the hierarchy of
1: right i don't know yeah species (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah uh and me and I, I I don't know like I you know yeah, I have it's... no real good explanation mm-hmm. for that but that seems to be kind of the tension that mm-hmm. is always created mm-hmm. is like you said like there's an authority figure who just like can't or doesn't do anything
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: Thingol yep. Turgon Yep um, Finrod is the only one who ever. Yeah you know
1: does anything and he dies yep yep all right it's um i think it is what you said that was the hierarchy thing like tolkien's so order obsessed yes that the idea of kind of rebelling against even a crummy king isn't something that can be contemplated like there's still something about duty to that system Mm -hmm.
0: They can die. Right. (laughs) Tolkien will kill them off. um, And someone will take their place. But then often, the ones who take their place, you know, again, that just starts to, Mm -hmm. you know, corrupt them as well. You know, and maybe Tolkien's questioning, can there be a good leader? Right? I mean...
1: (laughs) I mean, historically,
0: <laughs> Right, like, Morgoth is taking over, I mean, that's really what this whole mm-hmm. kind of last third of the book yeah. is, boils down to, is like, Morgoth's influence has grown, mm-hmm. the only place that the elves can, like, live is kind of really far to the south, um, you know. So, Morgoth is powerful, but he's, f- like, fully, wholly corrupt. Right. And... authority figures perhaps Tolkien does a bad job of showing like the tension there of like them either becoming corrupt or remaining pure and I wonder if it's that that makes it difficult for him to have compelling Mm -hmm. authority figures because he's not super great at writing like that internal tension Mm -hmm. Um the only place that he seemed really good at it was in the children of Heroin.
1: Mm-hmm. Um you yeah, know, it's like I, I, I
0: do think that's kind of a struggle for him, is like you don't really get internal monologues of characters a lot. Mm-hmm. Um well, I don't know if it's a struggle, but it's something he doesn't do. Like
1: Yeah, he just doesn't do it. I'm trying no. to
0: think of like a, you know, do we ever get Aragorn's thoughts and feelings on things? Like hardly ever.
1: Yeah, it's pretty rare.
0: Um we're weeding out like we're not only weeding out these kind of last strongholds of the elves but we're also weeding out the you know powerful kings that ruled them and really putting the authority in the hands yeah. of those little people as Tolkien right. like to say even though i would argue tour you know none of them are little
1: people two yeah are, that's the other thing yeah tour
0: by the time he Gets to, I mean, he's like a poster child for Aryan breeding, first of all, and then he's yes. like, oh
1: my god, and the baby, yeah. even more so.
0: And then by the time he gets to, you know, Turgon, he's got this like beautiful, shining armor. He has a special cloak made by Olmo. He, you know,
1: it's a chosen one thing. Yeah,
0: princess. you know, he's not a li- yeah. he's not. None a of these people are folk.
1: little people now.
0: Um you know same with like baron and luthien you know right talking, they are little folk but they're not really nah. um and then their oh. children become and i mean, I mean that's it. and that's what that's the other thing we're supposed to get out of the story is like so baron and luthien's granddaughter elwing marries right. arendil right. and right. then we have this mixing of elf and men and that's like the ideal person
1: right I mean, yeah, it's ultimately a story about aristocracies. Yes. So none of these people are little people.
0: No, none of them. Mm -hmm.
1: They're all quote-unquote royal blood. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, as you said, like, so much of this is about establishing these family trees. It's all very aristocratic and lineage-based. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so like... Yeah, there's no little people here. Or no. there are, they're the ones getting slaughtered namelessly in the background. Right. Um, I mean, when we get to the trilogy, I have even questions about like Frodo and Bilbo as quote unquote little people. <laughs> like, are they really common people? Like, they're yeah. not even common in the Shire. They're
0: the gentry. they yeah, not exactly.
1: common. No.
0: Sam is like a common
1: Sam fellow. is, the, yeah, Sam, Sam is like is the, the only common He's fellow. the only one. Because even Merry and Pippin, right, are right.
0: Merry and Pippin are attached like the, to, yeah, yeah. like they're like the dissolute children of, yeah, like the, yeah, like the rebellious, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, the Tooks and the brandy bucks, right? right? It's like the right. they're like little little
1: lords. Um mm-hmm. they're little lord. I mean, they literally are. Like, and as you said, Sam is the only one, and mm-hmm. like, um, I think the image of common, quote unquote, common people we get from him is one that. I will have a lot to say about when we get there. Yeah. Um but but yeah, none of this is actually about little like the common folk. It's all about these sort of chosen mm-hmm. figures. Um and maybe that explains why there's so much respect for these hierarchies still even when they are so clearly failing.
0: Right, because you can't be like, "Oh, here's the chosen one." Right. He's the grandson of this king that was a dick.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly like right. I mean, sort of authority is not dependent upon you being actually good at it. Right. Um, because all the sort of villain figures in this are usurpers in some way or mm-hmm. another. Um, it's, it, like in this story, right, obviously Mel- Melkor is trying to usurp authority across Middle-earth, but like, um, Magdalene is explicitly kind of constructed as this mm-hmm. usurper figure.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, He's kind of like a Yago, almost.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so yeah, all these people, all the most villainous people are ones who are kind of against whatever system of authority is in place, which is really interesting to me too.
0: Right, because Tolkien um, is definitely somehow questioning authority. Or I don't know, if bad he's, or just bad at. I think it's just bad. It.
1: Well, no, I think he's just questioning like ineffectual leaders. But like the authority itself he never questioned. You know what I mean? Like he's questioning sort of like their decisions, like they've grown comfortable or complacent or like they just don't care. But like the 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 position they are in still is given all the respect. It's a court like it's a very conservative critique (laughs) of leadership, effectively, right? It's like the system itself Is is not the problem. Yeah, Yeah, it's just like the person at the top of it who's making these decisions, but like we we can't just like throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. Like so
0: like he's he's trying to
1: Have his cake and eat it too.
0: Right. And by establishing all these like lineages, he's Mm. essentially like trying to create like a
1: good leader. (laughs) I think so. I mean, like it is like this weird like
0: to, breeding
1: program. For yeah, like, like honestly, king. Yeah. right? Like it is. Yeah,
0: we get uh, you know Baron and Luthien. Luthien's the mm. daughter of uh, you know this Great. king and this goddess, and then Baron's kind of from, like a fancy mm-hmm. you know Barra, He's got the ring of bear here. He's mm-hmm. kind of blessed among men, and then right, like we said, towards the chosen one, it drills the daughter of a daughter king, of the king and and i think was in valinor like she yes she so like she is kind of blessed among elves and right. like so we're trying to like distill down to this like arendil who is right. the who perfect leader somehow we're
1: told that he has a light of valinor in him yes again yes like it was kind of a weird moment because he's never been there he's never so like been why there. does he have the light yep
0: and then we'll um, see in the next chapter like he is able to
1: yeah
0: go to Valinor
1: right yeah yeah so it it's, is very much yeah it's not just telling us about this lineage right as you said it's trying to create like <laughs> like biological engineering yeah a king a, a king um yeah which opens up some really interesting boxes that I'm not sure how far I want to dig into those but I mean we know Tolkien's super conservative in a yes. very particular way we've talked about it. Um, I'm continually intrigued by sort of his political universe he's constructing. We yeah. talked a little bit about it with the economy last time, but <laughs> um, it's a very particular kind of conservatism.
0: Yeah. Hey, we did find something interesting to Yeah. About. We might be I mean, beating a dead horse with it, but... Um,
1: well, should we... Should we wrap up this uh wrap, wrap. job that we've we've done to this book
0: the next time yeah what is next we chat yeah Aaron's wiggling in his seat because guess what pal we have two chapters left
1: <laughs> oh thank God
0: until we get to the Akalabeth. and that's its own thing so yeah, it is uh yep we have two chapter oh my gosh no <gasps> we, have, we one only have one chapter left
1: oh my god people
0: we have one chapter. People. Chapter 24.
1: Um, Santa is real.
0: Santa's Santa's coming to town and he's bringing us the (sighs) end of this book, baby. All I wanted for Christmas was to read of the voyage of Erendil and the war of wrath. And my Christmas wish came true.
1: Christmas is real.
0: Well, yeah, we know Christmas is real. Santa is real. (laughs) Uh,
1: Great. This is good news. This is excellent news. Yep. I've not been this happy in years. years. That's not true. Maybe it is true. Uh, I hope not. I don't know.
0: Um, but yes. <laughs> Raise high the roof Claire beam. Raise shaking high. the book over her head. Raise high the roof beam, carpenters. Like Ares Can we, comes uh... the bridegroom. <laughs> we are finishing this godforsaken book. How did yeah. I read this twice?
1: Don't know. I must You're have You're insane.
0: I must have been in a fugue state. Did
1: you use drugs as a younger person?
0: I didn't. I must have been mm. in a fugue state. You must have been. And just, like, didn't know what I was doing or what I was doing. <laughs> anyway, we'll save this all for our wrap,
1: yeah, wrap,
0: can... wrap up of the entire book, which we will yes. be doing after we finish the next chapter. I think we'll do it before we read the Akalabeth, because that's sure. its own thing. And I do think we need to discuss the downfall of Numenor in sort of its own little...
1: Oh, sure. Nugget. Sure, sure, sure. Uh,
0: of an episode. <laughs> so. Um,
1: so this episode isn't completely worthless. Can we say a couple thank yous?
0: Yeah. Okay, great. I would love some thank yous.
1: Do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. Oh. <laughs> we wanted to thank our uh, great music maker, Joseph McHugh. Oh, yes, For making you, our Joseph. pod theme. <laughs> uh, we've been bad about putting these in at the end of the yeah, episode. Yeah, so we're so, going uh, now. And do you want to do the second thank you to our artist? Sure.
0: I will do the second thank you to our beautiful, talented, and effervescent artist, Miss Jenny Calais, uh, for doing our wonderful podcast art. Contact her for any of your artistic needs. She illustrates children's books. She has a new one out. It's called How Happy is the Lark? You can purchase it on Amazon. Um, She has also illustrated a few other books. Um, She will do cards. She Illustrated my wedding invitations. I could sing and sing my praises for Jenny all day. Um, I'm sorry, also Joe. I could sing my praises for him as well. Uh, he is my husband, so I do. He knows. Uh,
1: and uh, we all know it's an absolute banger of a song.
0: It's a. It is. It's a real banger. And he mm-hmm. has no musical like education. So well done, Joseph. Yeah. Uh, on your wonderful music. So thank you both.
1: And thank all of our listeners, especially for listening to this episode, which uh, when it gets to you, I may have cut down to 15 minutes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A a Christmas blessing for you all. If you've been waiting for us to get to the trilogy.
1: Wait no longer. Well, wait a little longer.
0: Wait a little longer, but it'll be worth it. Yeah. As
1: always. See you next time. See
0: you next time.
1: bye. Bye. Bye.